Welcome to the JLA Cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. You'd think after now, PJ, having done that intro quite a few times, that it would just be utterly plain sailing. And kind of muscle memory got me through the first half of it and then I had like a brief moment of panic midway through where I was like oh my god gotta skip the landing gotta skip the landing I was I was thinking so hard about getting the words out in the right order yep same I remembered who I was but not what I'd (laughs) written and that took some real concentration and thinking to to get out but you did it and now we we all know that you are the writer of Apparently we don't, John. <laughs> the no, I, was, I was being facetious, of course. Who could forget, PJ? Uh, PJ, how the devil are you? I'm I'm good, thank you, John. Yes, it's it's a lovely sunny autumn day here in Cardiff. How are you? Uh, I am I'm very well, PJ. Uh, it is a lovely sunny day here in Cheltenham as well. Uh, we're about like fifty miles from each other. Is that about right? Uh, I believe it's between forty-five and fifty, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, do, I was just thinking about, like, from the perspective of, um, you know, some of the American or Canadian podcasts I listen to, or, you know, even worldwide podcasts where people might be recording kind of like thousands of miles apart, which is certainly, you know, well, well possible in, uh, in say, America. You could be one side of a country to another. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I guess it's almost quaint for any of our international listeners to think that, oh, that's cute. They're, they're, 50, they're 50 miles away from each other. They probably oh, yeah. wave. I used to co-present a podcast with a, a guy in Albuquerque, so... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I but then on the other then. hand, not really, no, we just, we did a podcast together, that was it, that was, it didn't last very long, it was about a year's worth I think we did, uh, one a month, so... <laughs> but then conversely, of course, the, the state we're in at the moment, last night I remotely recorded on the old laptop down the internet with two other people from Cardiff, because I can't go meet them in person. But were you doing it where you had, like, say, Skype open, but the the camera off because you could just look out the window and see them, and they could kind of like <laughs> wave wave back to you? God, it's not that small, uh, but pretty much. Odd enough, I yeah, no, God, I, I was thinking to myself, oh, PJ's PJ's cheating on me with another another podcast, and then I was thinking to myself, well, actually, last night I recorded a different podcast with two people who are also probably less than collectively less than two miles away from my house so yeah these 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 are just strange times to be honest they really are the difference with you pj is it's like we've 
you know, the diff- your problem, Pete. No, the thing is, you and I have never been in a room together when we've recorded. No, I was. You know, what, I was just thinking that one day it might be nice if we were. <laughs> I know that. What? What? Uh, what a bizarre. Frankly, like when when you know lockdown and all the oh, this this horrible virus is behind us. There's gonna be like everyone is gonna be suddenly so hungry for physical contact, contact and doing anything in person. Like we're gonna be one of like a thousand podcasts who are suddenly going like like live show or <laughs> all in one room together. Like it will just will just be a, a, a tidal wave of of content creators. I don't know how we do this show live. We'd have to provide everyone with a copy of the comic that we're reading in the audience. So there's everyone have a copy. Right, we start on this page. It would be my, way too formal. PJ, PJ, PJ. PowerPoint presentations. Oh, of course. Of course. We have a very highly trained technician. And like a kind of um, follow the bouncing ball or turn the page when you hear this this noise, we can have <sighs> just like next slide, next slide, next slide. Make sure we format it better than the UK government did with their briefing the other week. But yeah. Oh, is it is it wrong of me that I've actually just like kind of stopped listening? No, I don't. I don't. I mean, I mean, no. I, I should. I should paraphrase that. I, I maintain a very dull, socially distant life. Like, yes. uh, I, I, I go to my garden or I go to buy food, and then I come here and I talk about comics with you, PJ. That's like yes. all I've done for like what seven? Mu- How long has it been? Eight March, months. Yeah. What are we in? Eleven months into Nearly the eight. year. For, it was nine months. Wow. I think. That's all I do, PJ. I just kind of, I just, I, I get like the Reader's Digest version. It's like I don't need to, I don't need the waffle. I don't need the political waffle. People are having babies now that they weren't even conceived in a time before a pandemic. Wow. And look, and look what we've created—a podcast. I, I think you'll find we have created one of the greatest podcasts of all time. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a very good point, PJ. There's a lot of people on the planet. People aren't special, but there's only one there's only one podcast about a very niche superhero series from twenty three years ago. Exactly. And this is timeless. This is for the people. This is for the ages. Yeah. And we'd better hope no one else does one because they might do it better than us. I I feel what I feel we were very lucky in getting in there quickly. Because, I mean, it took us 23 years, but, like, nobody else, to my knowledge, has made a podcast about this particular era in JLA history. We, we struck while the iron was hot. Indeed, yes. Well, the iron was almost white hot. It took 23 years to cool down to a point where the world was actually ready to pick it up and process it. When, when you forge your iron in the heart of a star... The cooldown process is oh. is tremendously long. Yes. Do you do you if there were any imitators out there, PJ, who wanted to make uh, make a highly original podcast like ours uh, <laughs> in a similar vein? Are there any other eras of the Justice League that it would apply to? Ooh, people! Excellent question. I mean, people kind of talk about the Justice League International days, but I've never read any of that. That's what popped into my mind, and I have read some of that and and enjoyed it. Uh, That is definitely one that you 
covering a podcast. And I think that that would be quite different to to ours because the series itself had a very different tone at that point. And it wasn't the big seven, you know, I think it was only really Batman and Jean were the only sort of big seven characters who were members of the League, as I recall. Is that the... Is it in the pages of Justice League International where you get the famous um, Batman Guy Gardner encounter? Like where, first issue, I think. Yeah, and he, and Batman knocks him out, doesn't he? He punches the crap out of him. Yeah. Mm. Was it deserved? Yes. Oh, okay, yeah, it often is with Guy Gardner, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it usually is. We're yeah. going to talk about that in detail in, in a few weeks' time because that is it's true. very heavily referenced in an issue we're covering in the not-too-distant future. Just, just before, we, before we dive into it properly, PJ, I've got myself... I, I, I've kind of started myself now, and I'm kind of thinking about long-running superhero series, you know, that have existed, you know, have existed from, since distant time and, and will probably exist forever. And then what are some of the more famous runs of of anything that might be kind of podcast worthy like i'm talking avengers jla x-men maybe fantastic four that sort of thing like like one that immediately springs to mind is the claremont mm. burn x-men run from the 70s yeah definitely I, I i'd put the busick run on avengers uh up Ooh, there. that is definitely a, yes certainly that is a very close contender Fantastic Four, I'd probably... Well, I mean, you can't really beat the first 100 issues, can you, Stan and Jack? No, and they are good, actually. Like, I, mm. I, I've got the, um, I've got the uh, essential collections, like the yeah. um, newspaper print ones, and they are so entertaining. Like, I, I was reading those when I was 18, and despite the gulf of time, I was like, these are still really good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, endlessly creative. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Like, maybe... I don't know. I was I was wondering, like, have there been any like really recent big creator driven runs on a on a character you or get, a team? In the eighties, you get Frank Miller on Daredevil. That's pretty big. Hmm. Uh, John Byrne. He did a couple Fantastic Four and Alpha Flight. Although I guess Alpha Flight aren't really that as as big a name recognition in terms of branding as, as the other ones but yeah. his runs on those two books certainly stood up i mean i'm trying to think i mean like i know i'm i know i'm not his biggest fan but i, I kind of feel like bendis is maybe like one of the closest nowadays and i i'm not counting like ultimate spider-man which was kind of like an original creation yeah. um but um i'm thinking more of like his run on on avengers because for better or for worse, it was a pretty big period in those in those characters' history. Yeah, and he was on it for quite a while as well, right? From New Avengers one, no, even before that, wasn't it? He did like issues five hundred to five hundred four of the yeah, because original Disassemb- series. Yeah, disassembled is where he hopped on, and then God, it was all the way from like disassembled New Avengers, all the events, so like Civil War. Obviously, that was Miller, but you know, then post what Secret Avengers, Mighty Avengers, Secret yep. Invasion. My God, it just went, it just went on House and on. House of and M, on. Siege. Oh God, House of M. Yeah, jeez. He was yeah. he, he was writing a lot for a long time. Basically, he was 
the architect of the Marvel Universe wrong. Avengers versus X-Men was during his tenure on Avengers as well. Yes, it was. It was. It wasn't because then it wasn't until Hickman took over that there was a real kind of like shift. Yes. Yeah, that's when Bendis moved over to the X-Men, I believe, was at the same time as Hickman took over the Avengers. And I've got to be honest, Hickman's Avengers left me kind of cold. Bendis it didn't always work, but I, I enjoyed some of what he did. And I think there were some fun stories in there. For me, the Hickman one was just too dry. I did Yeah. You know, I, I liked what he'd done on Fantastic Four, but he just seemed to bring that sort of same... I don't know, it felt too much like he was trying to push the science fiction angle without actually bringing any of the heart of the characters to it for me. I, I, yeah, 100%, 100% agree with you. Like, it was, it was very, uh, I mean, the whole gimmick of that run was the, um, oh, what was it, the so-called uh, Avengers machine? Like, yeah. the, the grid, which is, which is a perfect metaphor for his run on it, because it was kind of brilliant, but almost a little bit mechanical. Like, it was... It was very well, clever, Mm, very clever but for but, me it had no heart yeah yeah no i agree i agree because i i think big you know because again like clearly we're big fans of justice league or we wouldn't be doing this podcast mm. uh right now but um definitely was a big avengers reader back in the day and i kind of blame uh kurt Busick and george perez for kind of making that work for me and 100%. like percent yeah, and, and like the Justice League, I would go to because they were big and godlike and did these kind of utterly impossible things. And like the Avengers was very, very human, like under that run, like very, uh, you know, like the rotating cast, people coming and going, lots of personal drama. I guess it's the old the old classic thing that people ex- expect from a lot of superhero comics, like, like the kind of um, soap opera kind of aspect of it. I think for me, and so this is yeah, we're doing the JLA cast. We hold up the Morrison and Porter run on JLA. It is probably my favourite of these big runs on on the classic uh, heroes. But I've read more Avengers overall. Like I've read, I think I read all of that JLA series from Morrison and Porter's issue one right up until it got rebooted, and then I kept with it for a little bit when Brad Meltzer was on Justice League of America and on for a little while, but I sort of dropped out. And I've gone back and read some of the earlier stuff, but not everything, whereas I'm pretty sure I've read almost every single issue of Avengers up until the last couple of years. Wow. And But for me, it is the, the Busick and Perez one is what really got me into the Avengers big time. And I would also even say Busick and Perez is the end of sort of your... the the classic take on the Avengers, on what the Avengers were at the beginning, that ends at Busick and Perez, or at least the end mm. of Busick's run, because Perez left earlier in the book. Because after that, you then get Jeff Johns coming in, and there's some great stuff in there. You get the Red Zone, which is a cracking story. The Red Zone is great. He starts changing it, so you've got the Avengers Embassy, and you get Thor leaving because he's become the All-Father. And then it just never sort of came back to being the same thing. And then you get Chuck Austin doing a few terrible issues after John's leaves, and then it's straight into Disassembled. And from there, it's completely different. And I do enjoy a lot of what did come after, but it's never been the classic Avengers. 
in the same way for me since. No, and I guess, and of course, the um, the ultimates cast a long shadow as yep. well. Like being a, a such a different take on it, and bringing in this kind of um, the Avengers as a division of Shield, or the Avengers as a quasi government or military organization, which you know informed the movies you know yeah. and and we're kind of living in a post ultimates world and i i think um it's interesting how the comics you know the movies responded to the comics and now the comics respond to the movies because if you ask i'd say the average person on the street will of course know know the movie versions of these characters rather than the comic versions and you know these characters are immortal they keep shifting and changing as different audiences come and go and you're right i feel you can't go back in a way i think busick was very much like i mean it wasn't the golden age but it, you know what i mean like it kind of felt like that slightly more quaint time of superheroes where it was like you were writing superhero comics which were informed by previous superhero comics i feel yeah now we're writing kind of superhero comics which are informed by the movies or more kind of like gritty realistic like sci-fi and military kind of things i'm rambling i'm sorry i don't know if that makes no, any sense well no it, it does because if it, it started even before that if you remember ultimates came out i want to say towards the end of busick's run because it was during the jeff johns run that ant-man and um miss marvel who at the time was going by warbird got these new awful costumes that sort of looked very ultimates but were just oh. dull like carol danvers her outfit was basically a, a black body stocking but with these weird silvery armor bits on oh, them i've forgotten it, about that yeah it was just so forgettable and pointless it was rubbish it was kind and, of mad because i i've got to say i'm thinking back to that storyline and it was olivia capel was the artist yeah. who i i love i love his work um and I didn't mind Ant-Man's new helmet. I thought, I was like, oh, I think that's kind of badass. But I know Jack of Hearts got like a bizarre, like a really, like from that over-the-top elaborate costume he used to have. Mm. I got completely downgraded. He was just wearing like a kind of yellow armoured tunic sort of thing. Yeah, they kept, I think, I even think they, at that point they would have changed Cap's outfit to almost look like what he wore in like the Hickman run if they could mm. but i think because cap's outfit was was a no-go for changing at that point in the comics they had to keep them the same and good because i hated the other costumes they've given him in the comics when they've tried to make <laughs> him move him more towards the movies they've looked awful well it's weird but, isn't it because brian hitch in drawing the ultimates kind of settled upon um uh, a helmet design for captain america and because he, because he, he, like, I don't mean like his World War Two helmet. I mean like his modern day costume. For he started having a uh, a weird kind of mask helmet thing. I think that started in Ultimates Two. Yes, I think in the first series of Ultimates, it was still just a cowl. Yes, you're right. You're right. But then when he introduced the um, when they introduced like the kind of United Nations of heroes and all the different captains from different countries, yeah. oh, and they I were all. That. They were all wearing that one style of helmet because I just got the impression that Brian Hitch really liked drawing it. And yeah. I feel like the movies have just run with that now. 
like just because it's like oh okay that kind of looks better than like a spandex wongsie in the real world um because again like captain america's costume in the first avengers movie is not mm. great no no it's, it's like pajamas um yeah but then but yeah but then of course that that idea bleeds back into into the mainstream uh marvel comics you know yep. and cap now probably looks more like a a soldier than he's ever done actually i think and as i say I'm, i haven't read i stopped reading uh, a lot of the sort of the more mainstream comics to be honest uh, like beginning of this year but i think captain america's costume is now back to the classic wings on the head pirate boots what it's supposed oh, really? to be in the comics yeah wow um but there was a couple of years where they were trying out different looks for him none of which took because the original look is a classic for a reason i'd always wondered because let's be honest pj the greatest era in comics was was the 90s uh, <laughs> no, there were no missteps uh everyone looked great and uh let's look at cyclops i mean a style icon um and a real kind of pioneer of the i'm wearing a wongzi but i'm letting the top of my head breathe and <laughs> i'd always wondered why they didn't do that with captain america because can you imagine a more 90s interpretation of him? That would just be beautiful. I mean, you're just talking about the super soldier outfit. Wait, which particular? Oh, God, Al- yes, Am- no, Amalgam. I am. Amalgam, yeah, no, I am actually just... Now you've said it, yeah, <laughs> I am just describing super... Uh, we'll, have, we'll probably have to do Amalgam at some point. <laughs> I actually love the uh, the super soldier. I think that's one of their, their most effective let's merge these characters. So you've got... Superman's hair, but it's blonde with basically a Captain America outfit, and then the Superman S is his shield, which he doesn't need. But yes, yeah, that was probably the only the only thing where you're kind of like, oh, it's cute that he's carrying a shield. Like yeah. it, it's again, it's like putting armor on Warbird or Captain Marvel or Ms. Yeah. Marvel as the number of different names she's gone through because it's, like, it's so pointless. <laughs> oh, she was binary as well, wasn't she? Yes, she was. Yes. God, yeah. The troubled history of Carol Danvers. I yeah. tell you, PJ, I'll tell you what, PJ, that is a very hard conversation to have with people when it's like uh, uh, not long after I started my current job, this is a couple of years ago, uh, nearly three years now, but they'd um, obviously just announced they were doing a Captain Marvel movie and having a colleague, uh, a normal colleague, PJ, by which I mean like a muggle, you know, not someone who deals <laughs> with all this nonsense. And going like, oh, I've heard about this Captain Marvel movie. I'm quite excited about it. Can you tell me anything about the character? And going like, who, boy, where do yep. I even begin? <laughs> like, it's, there are a few characters who've had quite as complex a, a history as, as, as her. Complex and, let's be honest, controversial as well. Very controversial, yeah, like... There are times when continuity, you just think, like, could we not just, like, erase, like, 20 years of a character's history, maybe, and just kind of take it from here? Well, this is the thing that I almost now I'm at the point where I feel like Marvel, because, you know, I appreciate them sticking to their guns and how effectively they haven't really rebooted since 1939. And when everything started and they've just gone, yeah, no, we're just sticking with all of this and everything happened. And if something contradicts it, at some point we'll write a story that explains it. At this point, I'm like, guys, just do a hard reboot. Start over. And none of this pussyfooting around like DC did with uh, um, 
New 52 where it was like, well, we're keeping some stuff. No, hard reboot. Just do one big crossover story that ends the Marvel Universe. End it on a happy note. That would be fine. Yeah. And then just start over. PJ doesn't take prisoners, everybody. PJ's like, no, no, wipe it clean. Yeah, I think that would be a good thing because I think it's just gotten so complicated at this point. And well, the only, yeah, the only other option is is just to stop, I don't know, stop mentioning it. Like in a weird yeah. way where you just kind of you just kind of assume that these characters all have a history and they've all been doing this for like 10 years. Isn't that always like the the soft editorial excuse? That's yeah. like however whatever year it is whenever you're reading this comic, Spider-Man has been Spider-Man for roughly like 10 years or something like that. Yeah, because well that's because they can never allow him to grow into his 30s. He's always got to be now. 20s is okay. He doesn't have to be a teenager, but he's got to be in his 20s. He can't get older than that. And at some point, then you've got to say, well, he's going to. And you'll either just have to bring in a new younger Spider-Man, which they've also done, but they're still keeping Peter Parker around. And that's the thing, though, with Miles Morales, age Peter, that's fine now. We saw that in the film, Into the Spider-Verse, and it was yeah. brilliant. Yeah, it was people brilliant. Like it. So, I, yeah. The thing is, sh- my... My Spider-Man, when growing up and when I read Spider-Man, I was always really kind of like, um, I, I, I always saw him as older. It was almost like aspirational because I really liked Spider-Man. I was like, oh man, what a cool guy Peter Parker is. Like he's got a job, he's got a, lives with his girlfriend, you know, he's, he's, hmm. he's, 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 he's Spider-Man, he's got like a, he's got a second job, he's got a side hustle. And I was like, I always took. I always assumed that Peter was a quote unquote adult because I was mm. young and reading about it. So, like for me, my idea of Peter Parker has always been kind of like mid to late twenties, maybe even like early thirties. Mm-hmm. Just somebody going about their business as like a youngish person. So, like obviously, we've you know Ultimate Spider-Man. There's so many adaptations. He's obviously a, a teenager. But for me, he's always been a young metropolitan professional <laughs> balancing jobs and rent and being a superhero. Well, I think even in the 60s, Stan Lee had him graduate college fairly quickly. He was, uh, sorry, uh, high school and go into college. So he was in his early 20s, must have been from, I don't know, issue 20-something? Yeah. It always confused me because, again, being British and growing up in cider country, I uh, was always confused by American shows where they graduated, like, twice. I thought yeah, you only graduated. I, I don't yeah. understand it all, either. I really don't. But I will say this. One other thing I love about Into the Spider-Verse, finally, finally, I had a Peter Parker that was older than me again. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's it, PJ. Like, now, you know, they say, like, oh, P- Peter Parker can never be older than 28 because ugh, who who wants to be old? Like, who wants to be older than 28? Oh, my God. And then there's, like, me, like a a haggard 34. Uh, <laughs> and you, what, like, 52 now? Something like that? How dare you? <laughs> Sorry, not a day over 49. And How, um, how dare the 38, John, and you know <laughs> that. <laughs> I, I, I apologise, PJ. I was going about for dramatic effect, of course. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Like, I... I I, I like the idea of an older Peter Parker. It makes me feel like I've still got it in me. Like one yeah. day, <laughs> one day I'll get bitten. Well, that's the whole reason in the end. If 
my copy of uh, Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller has an intro by him. The whole reason he wrote this story of an older Batman was because he'd just become older than Batman in the mainstream comics. And he was like, don't like that. Do not like that. And so he wrote something about an older Batman who was older than him again. That 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 stuff always weirds me out when the I don't know, like the DC companion or something or the DC encyclopedia will go like, Oh yes, Bruce Wayne is thirty-two or something like that. And I'm like, What? No. <laughs> no. Oh my god, no. Please don't say that. I'm not the head of a you know, I'm not a billionaire. I don't I don't run a uh, a massive corporation. He I think. Be- I think Bruce Wayne at this point in in the comics has to be in at his at his youngest, his late thirties, because if he spent all that time traveling around the world learning his detective skills and all his martial arts and everything to be basically the pinnacle of humanity, as good as a human can be at anything, hmm. that's a good at least a decade of traveling around. So oh, he can't sure, have yeah. become Batman until he was in his at best mid to late 20s no thank you pj i'm i'm i i'm i choose to believe that bruce wayne is a is a respectable 42 and I <laughs> i'll take like, that thank you thank you yeah you see we've still got it pj we've still got time to <laughs> <laughs> put down the comics and pick up pick up the weights let's get training and, and no i have to get my parents shot first and <laughs> oh no oh yeah that's that's pretty inconvenient i don't think i want to do that just and, and to be honest, I'm not young enough to be motivated by that to fight crime. I'd just be like, well, now I'm sad and I'm going to eat chicken. <laughs> the thing is, I can't get motivated enough to go buy the chicken to cook it, <laughs> let alone end crime. Uh, uh, <laughs> dearie me. Okay, maybe maybe we're in the wrong the wrong profession, PJ. We should stick to what we're good at, um, which is talking mis- about Batman. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's a segue to be proud of. Uh, should we jump back into Rock of Ages? Yes, let's do it. So where were we, PJ? What was happening? I mean, it's really hard to do a recap, I've realised at this point, of where we are. Because four oh. parts of Rock of Ages. and <laughs> Yeah, um, I guess we could... Uh, yeah, what we're on, this is going to be... This is part... This is going to be part five, isn't it? So... Yeah. Okay, well, how about we take we we briefly sum up an issue each, okay, in in like a, just a sentence or two. Okay, part one: the Justice League fight an evil hologram Justice League. Uh, part two: something strange happens off camera, which we don't talk about, and then the League deal with the evil version of the League, who are amassing in the shadows, and Bruce Wayne. Is 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 doing business fighting with Lex Luthor? Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> Thank part, you. Part three: Superman and the Martian Manhunter throw a rock at the Injustice Gang satellite. And oh yeah, I guess also Metron appears and weird cosmic stuff happens to Flash, Aquaman, and Green Lantern. Uh, yeah, and and part four: uh, uh, Flash, Aquaman, and Green Lantern have ended up. 15 years in the future, trapped in the bodies of their future selves on an Earth which has been taken over by Darkseid. Really, I think you should just all go back and listen to the last four episodes, (laughs) if you haven't already. This is not the episode to start with. No, this is not a very good jumping on point, I'll be honest with you. (laughs) And And as PJ and I have rediscovered in our kind of dissection, in our kind of electron microscopy of Rock of Ages... 
we've discovered there are actually like five different stories going on yeah. at once in 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 this particular arc, and uh, we'll forgive you if you're not uh, if you're not keeping up. We're barely keeping up, and we've read this countless times each. <laughs> we need more chicken, PJ, for uh, <laughs> for the brain thinking. Um, okay, so yeah, that's all the catch up you're getting. So we are right into Rock of Ages Part Five: Twilight of the Gods. And we start with a splash page showing the moon, the former JLA headquarters, which has now been perverted and turned into some kind of, I don't really know what it is at this point, some kind of zombie factory for Darkseid and his minions. You've got the Earth in the background with a fire pit uh, in, is that Africa? I was looking at the map there and I wasn't entirely sure. That might be Central Europe. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think it is Central Europe. And the there moon has a the moon has a diddy little uh, fire pit as well. It's pathetic, really, compared to the Central Europe. Yeah, it's barely worth the effort, to be honest. Uh, and yeah, it is. Um, well, we we have some strange narration, basically, uh, coming from somebody we're not. Well, we're not entirely sure uh, who or whom is speaking. I'm not entirely sure what, what is grammatically correct there, but. Um, yeah, this strange voice is saying, called across the infinite, summoned by the source to the place of last battle, I emerge from ultra space, gliding across the shimmering wave bands of the electromagnetic spectrum, skimming the radio surf in unknown frequencies towards the dying planet Earth. I think <laughs> if you are familiar with Jack Kirby's Fourth World, You've read the previous parts of Rock of Ages. You you know what's going on, where we are at the moment. You'll probably have a pretty good idea of, of who this character is. If you haven't, like I hadn't when I first read this, <laughs> not a clue. Not a clue. At the same time, you're kind of already committed to this roller coaster of a story by now. So I think my young brain was like, okay, in for a penny, in for a pound. Like, yeah, here we go, I guess. Yeah, basically... I went, oh, another cosmic person's showing up? Yes. What I will say, though, as well, is I think Morrison has done a brilliant job in these opening captions of capturing Kirby, the, the way Kirby wrote uh, dialogue and, and caption boxes for narration. I think I think this this little moment here, it feels very, very true to the spirit of Jack Kirby, and I love it for that. Mm, that kind of just off-the-wall kind of like 60s, sci-fi where yeah it was all a bit it was all a bit psychedelic in a weird kind of way yeah yeah even and though jack kirby the, the amount of kirby crackle that porter has drawn coming out of the fire pits as well that's, that's kind of one of the mad things about jack kirby which i kind of love like he wrote and drew like this kind of weird psychedelic beatnik but he looked like a sailor like he, he just <laughs> yeah. kind of it looked like he spent all morning like hauling crates off a boat, and then he spent the afternoon punching Nazis in bars, and then he went and drew like twenty-eight pages of just cosmic nonsense. And by all accounts, he was a tough guy as well. I've I've, I've basically heard it said that he was Ben Grimm. Yeah, like there's some great like you look at like all the old um, all the old kind of like fighting scenes he would draw yeah. like back in back in the sixties, and it's like, what do you say like? 
I, there's some quote where he talks about getting into good, honest fights when he was a kid. Yeah. Like the, the kind of fight where you'd fight someone up, up a building and then down a building. And then if you knock someone out, it was only polite that you brought them home and put them on their um, their mum's doorstep so they could find them. Yeah. <laughs> what a time to be alive. I don't think Morrison was doing that, but he certainly captures the Kirby narration. He does indeed. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, I, I should say... Uh, actually, PJ, this is more your kind of area. Do you, do you want to do the credits? All right, then. Because this is where they come in. So, writer Grant Morrison, penciler Howard Porter, inker John Dell, letterer Ken Lopez, colorist Pat Garrahy, assistant editor L.A. Williams, that's a new one, associate editor Peter Tomasi, and editor Dan Raspler. So we've got an extra editor for this issue. Yeah, wow, this one was edited to within an inch of its life, apparently. <laughs> uh, but PJ... Uh... Uh, continue continue the, the excitement. Uh, what's happening? So uh, we move over the page and we're still on the moon in what was JLA headquarters. Now, officially the zombie factory, a caption tell us. We get more of the narration telling us here, the final hopeless scourings of conquered humanity are herded into anti-life processors, their minds stripped and replaced by the endless crushing monotone of Darkseid's anti-life equation. And we've got a loudspeaker shouting anti-life is good anti-life is freedom it's a cult was um uh i feel you may be well placed to answer this pj was the um was the anti-life equation always part of the kind of dark side mythology i think if i'm remembering correctly it's it's what dark side's mission statement is he's searching for the anti-life equation through the whole jack kirby fourth world saga and beyond i think the the point in Rock of Ages is that he's found it and that's why he's able to take control of New Genesis the way he is and then move on and, and conquer the Earth. And, and was it always the point and, and function of the anti-life equation to um, uh, not really, I don't know, zombification is a bit is a bit broad, but to kind of like erase personality, was that always what it did? It just kind of I don't really know, to be honest with you, because I don't think, and I might be wrong here, and if, if I am, please, somebody do let us know, but I don't think Darkseid ever actually got hold of it or or we ever actually found out exactly what that meant in the pages of Fourth World. Right, 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 right. Okay, okay. No, that's good, that's good to know, because again, I, I was encountering all this for like the first time. I, I don't think yeah. I'd ever really, when I first read this, I don't think I'd ever really seen Darkseid or Dark Seed, as I used to call him, uh, in any other medium. So, like, I didn't really know if this was normal. <laughs> like, Dark Side taking over the Earth and the whole, all this bizarre anti-life nonsense. It was very, it certainly struck a chord with me. Like, it was, this is weird. This is incredibly weird what we're seeing right now. Yeah, because we get some of Dark Seed's, I said it, Dark Seed. Look at that. It <laughs> just came out. Some of Dark Side's, However you want to pronounce it, that dark dude, his his soldiers, his zombies herding people into a chamber with the Omega symbol above it on, on the archway and humans who haven't been converted yet, clearly unhappy about it. And we pass up to a giant vent in the wall above where there are two, two of our cast are there watching proceedings and it's Argent and Azteca. Yeah, and these are a two. These are, these are two of the kind of like um, 
surviving members of JLA that we met in the previous issue. Um, it you know they they've not had a lot of introduction to be honest. Like they mm. were more kind of like background characters. So and you know spoilers, but we're not going to be spending a massive amount of time with them. So I I actually kind of like that the two of them get as much personality in this issue as they do in a way. Like um, for two kind of more C list characters you do kind of you do kind of care about them even in the, like the short span of time we spend together yeah so you've got argent who is an older version of the teen titans character but even if you're a teen titans fan she is lower rung let's say she's not going to be overly familiar to a lot of readers and as tekka who i've got to be honest it was never clear for me if this was a man or a woman i think it is supposed to be a woman that yes might- and might just be me getting things wrong and and horrifically so but i think it's a woman no i kind of no i'm actually with you there pj because i've got to say in all in all the years i i'd read this i honestly just kind of assumed that azteca was a man uh just because the armor is androgynous enough where it doesn't actually you know you don't think one way or another it doesn't really matter but yeah i think this might be i thought for the longest time this was actually cyborg i thought okay because because I uh, didn't Kyle make some comments in like the previous issue about like there were two ex members of the Teen Titans were in the JLA now, and I'd always assumed that this was Cyborg who somehow ended up incorporating Aztec's armor into his. But honestly, I'm really not sure now because I think in recent years I've come to I've come to think that Aztec is actually a woman. I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it's definitely Aztec's armor. And I think in the in the JLA's present day, Cyborg isn't around. He's he's just not there. Uh, I think he's assumed dead. But uh, I don't know if we're going to cover this. But a later story, JLA Titans: The Technus Imperative, is the return of Cyborg effectively to Earth. Is the catalyst for that whole story. Right. I've got to say, I have a big gap in my knowledge where. The team when it comes to the Teen Titans, like it is, I, I'm culturally aware of them, but I've never really read their comics or, or really dipped into that world. I've read some of the the new Teen Titans, the '80s reboot, uh, George Perez, and oh my god, who wrote that? Marv Wolfman. Marv there Wolfman. we go. There we go. Nicely done. Uh, so I've I've read a lot of that, which first introduced Cyborg, and that was really good. Then I read the. JLA Titans crossover, and I read some of the Jeff Johns Teen Titans when he rebooted it, mostly because they were folding in the Young Justice characters and cancelled Young Justice to do it, and I was never very happy about that, but I kind of enjoyed it, and that had Cyborg in it too. Oh, was was Mike Turner the artist on that? I cannot remember. I've got a feeling he might have been, yeah. Okay, sorry. So so I got I got diverted there, but I guess I guess the point is is that whoever Azteca is, uh, I think the only real takeaway is that we're not really familiar with them as a character. No. Um, and for all we know, maybe it's someone we're meant to know, or maybe it's just a new hero who has arisen in the intervening fifteen years. I think my interpretation is it is um, someone from the Q Foundation who was in the line of. Oh. We know that you know. There was someone else who could have taken over the suit after him, uh, the, that, a woman who did appear in, in Aztec's own series, and then presumably there were more after her. So I, I've, that's my assumption of what's 
what's happened here. That is a very good way of looking at it, PJ. Uh, Bucks, um, yeah, I, I guess uh, either either way, uh, the two of them are looking down on this scene and you know this horrific scene of all these uh, human victims being processed uh, by this factory. And uh, Azteca simply says, well, you know, look, we've got to focus uh, Batman centers here to disable the anti-life broadcast array. We can paralyze all of Darkseid's slaves on Earth. All we have to do is get, like, down there without being killed, basically. Easy, right? Yeah, and Argent says... Green Lantern from the past did say my silver plasma looked a lot like his green plasma and maybe I can do more with it than I thought. And she starts basically conjuring this plasma from her hands. And then we cut to a panel showing the human slaves coming out of another archway with the hand masks we saw previously covering their eyes, mouth and ears. And the archway actually says above it, wise monkeys. And I think this is the first time I've picked up on that. Well, yeah, because I was, I, I was, half, I, for most of the last issue, I was referring them to, to them as happy monkeys, like myself. Yes. Um, <laughs> they're not very happy, PJ. This is, I believe, meant to be a dystopian future. It took me a little while to twig. Uh, so, yeah, these have now been turned into kind of like brainless zombies, just who will do nothing but live and die in Darkseid's name. So, yay, that's happy. Yeah, you get the loudspeaker shouting, no fear, no responsibility, no guilt, anti-life, while one of the zombie men just shouts, dark side is. Yeah, he is. Which is, again, I love it. That's still just terrifying. The horror is simply that he exists. Yeah. But but PJ, what's that up in the sky? It's a silver arm. <laughs> it's a silver arm. Um, And as we turn the page, uh, the people look up uh, in in shock because Azteca and Argent are flying above us, accompanied by hundreds of superheroes, but all made of silver plasma. Yeah, and it's a weird mix. Like you can clearly see, classic Superman is in there with his his old look before he got the good costume. Mister Miracle. Uh, yeah. I think there's a boost to gold, but then there seem to be quite a lot of just made-up people as well who don't have who. Yeah, one of them looks just a, invented. Yeah, one of them looks a lot like. Yeah, you're right. One one kind of has like a costume that's reminiscent of Electric Blue Superman. Mm-hmm. Another one looks a hell of a lot like um, Doc Spectrum from yep. um, the Squadron Supreme, which I'm a big fan of. But. Um, it's kind of like, uh, did you ever play or were you aware of that game, um, City of Heroes? Yes. Yeah, it's like that. It's like someone just pressed random on like the character generator. So we just got a ton of, well, they're clearly superheroes, but they're, you know, they're just utterly random. And Darkseid's slaves just start firing on them. So they're taking the, the silver plasma ones apart. Well, Azteca and Argent try and fly through. And, yeah, Argent is basically struggling to concentrate because she's generating all these different constructs and moving them independently. And she gets shot right through the chest. Um, And, yeah, it's it's pretty gruesome, I've got to say. The beam just goes all the way through her and her speech bubble cuts off just it's just got an asterisk in it basically 
and yeah. Azteca shouts Arjun to flying behind her, and and then the scene just cuts. It that's the last panel on this page, and then we just move away from them. So it's a pretty big cliffhanger for those two characters that we barely know but who we actually in these couple of pages have grown to really like. Yeah, and and no no pun intended, but it is actually a bit of a gut punch and to see a character get kind of cut down like this and you kind of that's when you kind of go, "Oh, yeah, this is a this is an alternate future, isn't it?" Like um this isn't going to be a happy this isn't going to be a happy ending. Um but yeah, we we cut suddenly to back to Las Vegas where we last saw our heroes, and I guess we should say there's a, there's an odd little um, framing device in this issue where there's like um there's a countdown playing. Yes, out. yes, we haven't mentioned that yet, but we probably should. And this one says T minus twelve thirty four, which I choose to mean minutes. Yeah, I think so because the the previous one just before Argent and Azteca launched there. Assault was twelve thirty six, so it's counting. It, it can't be seconds. Yeah, yeah. We are basically we are counting down to something, and uh, yeah, no, can't imagine it's something good. Um, but yeah, but basically we cut back to Las Vegas and future Batman, uh, despite having spent several years being tortured, is still Batman. So he is completely. He understands the plan entirely. Yeah, so he's basically saying to Aquaman, Flash, and Green Lantern that so if you return to your own time and stop Superman destroying the Philosopher's Stone, that stops Darkseid's invasion. Great. But what happens to us? Are we just going to disappear? Yeah, and Aquaman's like, I I don't know. You know, if, if we change the past, then this will never have happened, but you won't have spent 15 years getting tortured and Superman and the others won't have died and um, Wonder Woman just goes yeah like if if we were in their place we'd try it it's like they're heroes they really have no option but to try and stop this from happening and Aquaman points out they need to get to Metron's Mobius chair it's the only way they can get home and change it and if they don't do it quickly then the faster than light bodies that they used to travel back to this universe from Wonderworld Yes, you should have listened to our last two episodes. Um, (laughs) They will fully solidify in their current future bodies and they won't be able to go back in time. And then Flash says, Aquaman, we're running out of time, which he's clearly been doing a lot because Kyle's just like, Wally, how many times? (laughs) And Batman is nothing but business, but uh, he has fired up a boom tube, which is still a hell of a visual. Like, uh, I love the whole concept of a boom tube teleportation system. Yeah. Um, and Batman's like, okay, well, you know, Darkseid is on his way to Earth. He's already here, basically. Uh, we can teleport directly to Darkseid. Because um, Metron's with Darkseid. Yeah, or, or rather, sorry, yes, we can get straight to Metron. The The downside to that is that Metron is with Darkseid. So we are basically going up against a god. But Darkseid doesn't realise that Batman has beaten Desaad. He's spent the last few months talking to Batman, thinking Batman is Desaad. So they do have the element of surprise. Yes, and Darkseid, who we cut to now, is entertaining himself by 
beating up one of his parademons. Or paratroopers. This is, this is still T minus twelve thirty four, so this is clearly happening simultaneously with the scene we've just witnessed of the league. Mm-hmm. And having spent an entire issue not seeing Darkseid, we are now you know, he's he's posing for the camera here. Um and yeah, he's he's basically just you know, beating the crap out of one of his little minions, uh just because he he, he Darkseid basically has a lot of disdain for everything. Like, even though this thing is a mindless, loyal soldier of his, he's like, "Yeah, it's pathetic. I hate it. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna kill it because I can." Meanwhile, the 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 parademon is uh, is shouting, "Darkseid, punish me!" So there's a little bit of kinkiness to it as well. <laughs> it's all that black PJ. <laughs> like, you know, Darkseid traded his his uh, his blue his blue tunic for his. Um, his slick black leather tunic. So you know this is this is Dark Side after hours, and Dark Side is talking to Metron, who he has mind controlled. So this is future Metron, who is the Metron who went back and sent Aquaman, Flash, and Green Lantern off on a wild goose chase, and is is under the thrall of Dark Side. And you can tell because for this panel only, his eyes are red. Mm. And he's got those awesome square pupils, which um, denizens of the new world of the new of the new gods uh, seem some to have. Some of them, some some of them. I said, okay, not all of them, but I've no. I've I've always liked it. It's such a stupid little thing. It's it's one of those some Kirby characters. It's a Kirby affectation, I think, more than anything else. There's a number of Kirby characters that have it, and there are some artists who try and ignore it and still draw them with round pupils, and those artists are wrong people. Howard Porter, though, <laughs> he nails the square pupil look. I know I know some people who draw the new gogs with round pupils, and they're all cowards. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> it's true, though. They didn't have the courage. They didn't have the courage to do it. Um, but yeah, but Darkseid is basically having one hell of a, a monologue about how he has remade the universe in his image. Uh, he kills the Parademon. Um... Who says, and let me yet, die for Darkseid. He was very happy about it. Uh, and yeah, Darkseid basically looks out over a burning metropolis and goes, I have liberated them from the chaos of indecision. I have given them one straight path, one clear purpose, one goal, to die for Darkseid. He's very happy about his work, isn't he? I mean, it's just nice, frankly, it's just nice to see someone who takes pride in their craft. <laughs> and then we, we cut... To Metropolis, below Darkseid's ship, still at T minus twelve thirty four. So this is a third scene happening at the exact same time as the previous two, and we get more of the narration, which says closer now to the voice which called me here, the summoner through whom the eternal source will manifest in its all annihilating glory. Great, great, and on that cheery note, we see the remaining members of the league. We have uh, Green Arrow the second. Atom the first and a reprogrammed um, Amazo the third, maybe? I have no idea which version of Amazo it's supposed to be, but it's a reprogrammed Amazo. Yes, and uh they um they pretty much realize they're all gonna die. Like uh Connor is being pretty pessimistic about all this, and he basically says Look, this is our last stand. All I want is one good shot at Darkseid, just to know I tried it. 
Yeah, and Ray says to him, "Look, we got to wait for Batman's signal." And I think basically they're the cavalry. They're they're there to go in after and make sure that everything's okay. Is the plan? Yeah, and I guess they're kind of an underpowered wing of the Justice League. You might yes. say, like, aside from uh, Amazo, I'm not Amazo, I said the bad word, Amazo, aside from Amazo, um, I don't think anyone would claim that Green Arrow and Atom in any incarnation are the heavy hitters. No, not at all. Although what I do love here is Connor has very much turned into his dad. <laughs> not just in the look, because he's, he's got the beard now. But the attitude, it's just that all the lines that Connor says in this issue, you could imagine Oliver Queen saying them as well. Yes, he has and, become the grumpiest, most cynical person you could imagine. And I'm fine with that. Yeah, it's fine. He still gets the job done. You don't, you don't have to be smiling the whole time. <laughs> uh, and we jump... Oh, sorry, yeah, and I guess uh, Amazo um, jumps on a, uh, a, a parademon riding a bike, a flying bike basically. Yeah, and... They're going to hijack it? Yeah, Connor and and Ray move out, going to join in, but then we cut to, finally, the countdown's moving down again. We're at (gasps) T-minus 11.49. Gasp. And um, you hear a great big rumble, which is the classic sound of a boom tube approaching, and uh, Darkseid turns, expecting Desaad, and instead we see the Justice League, but not as we know them, Leaping out of a boom tube. What I love about this, you've got Batman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, slightly different versions thereof, but that is clearly those three characters leaping out at the front. Kyle at the back, hovering behind them, but he's a parademon. And then Wally's just a normal guy, leaping out of this boom tube. (laughs) Yeah, and and for emotional support, it's it's Wally. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Wally's here. he's, He's HR. And Batman, uh, who, as we should say, is is rocking uh, a really cool costume for this alternate future, all black with a big gold bat on his chest, uh, has released hundreds of little bombs, as he so often would, uh, which all start exploding, uh, filling the air with uh, with smoke. To obscure their movements. So... Wonder Woman goes off to say she's going to hold off Darkseid and the Grandmother Box, because Granny Goodness took over the new Genesis Mother Box. But she can only buy them a minute or two. So the others go after Metron, and Aquaman is concerned. He, you know, he, I think he's torn here. It's really hard for Arthur. He's torn between his... He knows they need to get home to stop Superman destroying the Philosopher's Stone. But at the same time, he doesn't want to see his friends fail. And he does. He says she can't fight them on her own, and Batman is just all business. Follow me. Yeah, because it's tough. Because in a weird way, to save the day, they're having to do something kind of unheroic in a way. Yeah. Like they're they're trying to escape. Um, but we cut to Metron, who is uh, this future version of Metron, having had his will ground beneath the heel of Darkseid, as we might say, is a little bit pathetic. Uh, he's lost all kind of agency. Um, and he's basically freaking out because Batman being Batman hasn't just made a smoke bomb. He's made a new Gogs smoke bomb, uh, 
which is apparently uh, completely screwing with all of Metron's like hyper senses. Like he just he has no idea where he is or what's going on. Basically, he describes them as local zones of increased confusion. Yes, with theotropically engineered fog using apocalypse technology. There you go. And then, and I love this, Batman literally pops out of the fog and just says, boo. <laughs> Metron screams. It's brilliant. Yeah, Batman, uh, Batman, this Batman is a little unhinged, having spent 15 years getting tortured, basically. I think, yeah, there's an element of he's been more damaged by his time in the torture chamber, but at the same time, he's happy to be out. So he's slightly unhinged and he's enjoying leaning into it. Yeah, and I always I always kind of read it that like I always kind of saw Batman as like a generally a very frustrated character because he has a lot of distractions in his life that I almost get the impression he wishes he could do without, like having to be the respectable billionaire you know, having to look after people. You know, I think in Batman's world, he would just be focusing on the mission and nothing else. Mm -hmm. And even though the world has gone to hell, here we have a Batman who doesn't need to worry about a secret identity, who doesn't need to worry about Wayne Core. Uh, he's basically just pure Batman now. So I, I kind of imagine there's like a certain freeing nature to that. Yeah, he's, he's allowed he's to also, revel in it. Yes, he's also, of course, the world is... They're facing dark side, so they're all probably going to die. So he's like, ah, might as well might as well have fun, I suppose. And speaking of, Wonder Woman is literally facing dark side, and she shouts at him that, by all the gods and in my mother's name, I'll make you pay for the pain you've caused. And dark side basically just orders her to kneel to him. And again, just like, this is, this, this is why this version of dark side is so kind of etched on my memory, because dark side, framed by all this smoke, is just standing there with like his arms behind his back, like not even facing Wonder Woman. And he's yeah. just like, pain is what makes us strong, and all the gods are dead. It's like there is no god but Darkseid. So kneel now or later, in the end, you will kneel. And it's just like fucking hell. So good. It is. But at the same time, we all know that even in a post-apocalyptic future, Wonder Woman's not kneeling to anybody. No, she's got a really, like, killer helmet now as well. So, like, I don't know, at least she'll go out in style with some sick headwear. Well, hopefully. But we cut then to T-1108 and Green Arrow and the Atom are on the bike. They've commandeered and trying to dodge a lot of laser blasts while Amazo is flying beside them, says he'll clear a path. And... uh. Then something happens to Amazo. He just goes a bit weird and starts shouting, Error, alert, viral program invading hard drive, error. And we get the lovely narration captions coming in again as they tell us that mind-eating mind codes are being broadcast into this one's artificial intelligence. My shadow is on him now, and in one last desperate moment of clarity, he... Nope, sorry, I put the wrong word in. I'm going to take that again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll fix it in post. It's fine. <laughs> My shadow is on him now, and in one last moment of clarity, he desperately formulates a mathematical abstraction which describes my function. And then you just get this panel of, of Amazo almost shaking himself apart. Yeah, like he, he's got three different sound effects all in different colours, and 
little explosions all across his body like it uh doesn't look good looks painful and connor and ray basically have to leave him behind uh ray shouts hold on ray i'm nope because he wouldn't shout that to himself i'm really bad at this today (laughs) (laughs) i can't read anymore (laughs) just paraphrase pj uh they 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 fly off towards dark side's ship yes that's what happens (laughs) quick turn the page let's 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 abort T minus eleven oh two. Yes, and Batman is confronting Metron, and Metron is basically is like, you are so beneath me, this doesn't even matter. Like I could disintegrate you in a flick of a switch if I wanted. And Batman goes, Yes, you could, but if you do, there's one thing you'll never know. Uh we have one last piece of knowledge to give you so that it doesn't die with the human race. Um and Batman's like you know, you're a god. Darkseid is a god. What's the one thing that Darkseid doesn't know? Then we get a panel of Wonder Woman leaping at Darkseid, shouting that she's going to die before bowing to him, and Darkseid just saying yes. Oh my god, VJ. Like, this moment, I keep coming back to this moment so many times in life. Like, it is... It, it is just so... You, <sighs> Darkseid does a fair bit of monologuing, he does a fair yeah. bit of kind of, you know, villainous monologuing. But what makes him so chilling is that in the moment where it matters, he doesn't have to. I, I just thought this was such a brilliant moment. He goes, I will die before I bow to you. Yes. It's like fucking hell. <laughs> oh, my God. Yep. And then we <laughs> just cut right villain. back. We, we, we don't even get to see any more at that point. It's that one panel. And then we cut right back to Batman and Metron while Aquaman, Kyle and Wally are just sort of standing there. While he's saying he's never felt so useless. And and Batman has got Metron's attention. Yeah, and he's basically saying, look, you know, you have no concept for what it is to be human. He goes like, you know, if you really, you know, if you really want to gain the last thing our species has to offer, you should become human. Like, just for a second, to experience it, to experience what we feel. And, uh, you know, unless, of course, you don't have the power to do it. Passive-aggressive. Now, I, I, I feel like that the, uh, the chemical concoction Batman used to, in the smoke pellets that made created the local zones of increased confusion for Metron, without those, I don't feel like this would have worked. I choose to believe that ba- Batman is such... The thing is, PJ, when... The thing is, PJ, right... When Batman was traveling the globe, you know, he trained with Zen masters, you know, he he spent years with um, jungle experts of assassination, you know, and he also spent a lot of time training with some really passive aggressive uh, (laughs) kind of parental figures. And uh, as such, like the reverse psychology he's able to like throw on Metron here is just utterly world class. He's the best a human can be at everything including reverse psychology. I Okay, I'll give you that. But Metron does just say, look, I can do that. I can easily become human. And then we cut to T-958, and Darkseid is backhanding Wonder Woman away from him, and she's just gone headfirst into a big pile of computer stuff. And Metron looks down at his hands and goes, well, there, I am made flesh and blood. Is this weight, this ceaseless particle move- movement, is this all? That's what, what is... I say every time I wake up. 
What is feeling that I should consider it worthy of record? Batman says, well, and then punches him really hard in the face and knocks him unconscious. And I love it. It's such a good moment. Punches him really hard in the face. <laughs> it's just such a Batman solution. <laughs> it's that thing of it's that perfect combination of of brain and brawn that Batman is. He, he uses his brain to realize, right, I've got a slightly confused Metron, and then if I convince him to become human, he's malleable. We can do. We he's he's more at our mercy then, and I can punch him. And. With a an unconscious Metron slumped over the arm of his chair, you see Batman take out a massive syringe and inject something into the back of his neck. Yeah. He says he's just pumped him full of a powerful hypnotic agent and he'll do anything that the others tell him to. And he tells Aquaman, Green Lantern, and Flash to leave. And they say, look, we can't just leave you. And Batman says, now. And then... There's a lovely goodbye between Aquaman and Batman. And Batman says, undo what happened here. We see some parademons rushing in. And then they just they just teleport out. Aquaman, yeah. Green Lantern, Flash with Metron, they just teleport away. And you would think, perhaps, that we, the reader, would leave with them. You know, that, well, you know, these were, these were the heroes who arrived in the future. So now they have escaped the future. Why are we still here, basically? And we see Wonder Woman kind of like wounded and barely standing, uh, facing off against the grandmother box, which is kind of rotating uh, towards her. Yeah, and there's a, a huge beam of red energy coming out of, of one side of the cube and the, that narration brings us back as well. It says, The living mind that haunts the circuitry of the grandmother box is aware of me. What once was granny goodness of apocalypse, psycho-circuitry rotting in madness, she rotates her boom-tube lens. She teleports fire pit energy from the molten core of apocalypse itself. So that's a pretty baller move. And Wonder Woman taking this blast kind of point-blank is just tearing at the grandmother box, like just like getting absolutely torn to pieces while she does it. And then she is blasted away. And that's, um, that narration goes, and the first of them falls. And we see uh, grandmother box like rotate towards Batman. And it goes, somewhere there is a final scream of defiance and glory. And I pause a moment. And we have this amazing shot of Wonder Woman just bursting through the heart of Grandmother Box, just tearing it apart and screaming Darkseid's name. It's, it, yeah, it's pretty big. It's a really, really powerful moment to know that and it shows you exactly who Wonder Woman is as well. And because we know that in, in the present day, the normal continuity of this comic, she is dead. So for Morrison to, to have her be alive in again in this future allows him to do this superb moment where Wonder Woman is defeated. But Wonder Woman doesn't know how to be defeated. <laughs> <laughs> She's already dead and she still finds the strength 
to just rally one last moment and destroy the grandmother box completely before she finally falls. And Batman calls her by name. He screams uh, Diana as he throws a, a batarang towards Darkseid. And we do get one more caption of the, the narration, which I because I just think this is beautiful. It says, Wonder Woman calls me by an old name and speaks it quietly, calmly, as she dies. I think there's just such a sense of tragedy to that moment that that... I mean, I haven't read the issue where she died in, in John Byrne's run on Wonder Woman, but I'm guessing it wasn't anywhere near as good as those three panels. Probably not. I haven't read it either. But yeah, I would probably wager that this would be a pretty hard act to beat. Um, and again, like you mentioned the tragedy of it, but just the fact that we are still lingering here in the future with these with these characters who, again, are not the characters we know and love. Like, this is a future which is, which, you know, was never meant to come to pass. So we shouldn't be here. We shouldn't still be caring about them. And yet we are. Like, it's pretty... Yeah, and there's a real kind of sense of doom coming about because Batman is all alone now and he 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 tries to, again, he's trying to fight Darkseid, but Darkseid is surrounded by an impenetrable force field. So Batman can't touch him. And now the door flies open and parademons are kind of storming in. So yeah, Darkseid is, sorry, Batman is is all alone. Yep, he has time to radio to the atom and, and say, look, Darkseid has a personal force field, do what you can. And then he just kneels down by the body of Wonder Woman and just quietly says, Diana, we did it. We did it. And Darkseid, okay, I love this moment, Darkseid kind of lumbers towards Batman and his eyes have, have lit up now with the Omega effect, his, you know, his, his kind of like uh, deep power. And um, he goes, you overcame Desaad. He goes, do I know you? And Batman, with a pretty sinister flipping grin on his face, goes, we've shared a few laughs. <laughs> he goes, everything you know, everything you own, I'm taking it all. Look up. And, it, and then the caption goes, this one sees me and smiles. Yeah, it's... Oh, I love Batman Shivers. in this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, where are we, we now, PJ? Back to the moon. The zombie factory. T minus 603. And Argent is huddled in Azteca's lap. And she's she's covering it with her arms because this is an all-ages comic. But you can just about see the blood pouring out of the, the huge wound she's going to have that's gone right through her. And she's dying, and Azteca's like, it's it's okay, it's going to be okay. And then they're surrounded by parademons pointing guns at them. And, and I love this. Argent says, oh no, Batman's going to kill me. <laughs> and then Azteca says, look, Batman's going to love this. My armor's powered by a four-dimensional battery. The only thing that stops the energy from erupting into 3D space with a destructive force greater than any weapon known on Earth is a little fader switch on my belt. And guess what I just did? And you get this amazing close-up of Azteca's face with what I would describe as a mischievous grin. <laughs> and we cut back uh, to Darkseid, uh, T-521. minus And as we look up at the moon, 
there is a massive explosion basically rippling across the surface of the moon. And Batman just goes, oh, no, Batman, why do I keep getting those confused? Darkseid goes, <laughs> oh no. Well, he doesn't say, oh no, but he goes, no, my zombie factory. <laughs> Sorry, I'm never imagining Darkseid. Oh no, not my zombie factory. <laughs> um, honestly, I kind of expected that Darkseid would be above such material things, but no, he is... He is not pleased that his zombie factory has been destroyed. Uh, and the caption says, The moon's features blur. My work is over swiftly before the dust settles. And then we cut to a seemingly random street where you've got people looking up at the moon because it basically just exploded. While in the background, well, it's Orion because that's the red and blue <laughs> costume that Orion wears is opening up a, a trapdoor and, and walking into a cellar. And as he then walks further down some more stairs, we get the narration coming back in, saying, I circle around and come at last to the summoner. Even shorn of his divinity, I recognise him. We are old companions, and Orion has been busy at his art too. The end is here. And Orion approaches, a, again, a very Kirby-looking device. It's like a, a yellow pyramid structure covered with red lights and buttons and weird technology, with a glowing red orb hovering above it. Yeah, um, and again, there's a really weird and tiny bit of world building where I guess we can assume that at some point in the last 15 years, Orion, son of Darkseid, lost his godhood, I guess? Yeah, I mean, it would make sense. If Apocalypse nice. takes... Apocalypse, Apocalypse is an X-Men villain... If Darkseid takes over New Genesis and he's able to kill all the new gods, then yeah, he can probably just take away Orion's powers as well. Again, I just I like it. It's a small detail. It didn't need to be done. I just like that you can it just le it just lets your imagination work for you. And you think, ooh, I wonder what happened in the preceding fifteen years. Yeah. Um but T minus four twenty two Batman faces off against Darkseid and all the parademons I assume, this is how I always took it to be, uh, they've all kind of like switched off, I guess because the zombie factory has been destroyed. Well they've, they've all got little blue energy bursts around their heads that I think are sort of supposed to, yeah, signify the interruption of the signal coming from the moon. And Darkseid's eyes are just kind of burning now and um he goes, how small you are, yet you have hurt me. I respect that. Therefore, let me show you mercy. These are merely the finder beams. Next comes the Omega effect. And it's those, those, not many sentences, he's not saying a lot there, but it's those few sentences that just make me think, yes, Michael Ironside was perfect casting for this part in the <laughs> Justice League cartoon. <laughs> Yeah, my readings of Darkseid are not quite on the same level. <laughs> we couldn't afford Michael Ironside, though. No, when I when I when I read Darkseid, he sounds a bit like well, frankly, he sounds like a middle class guy who works in digital marketing, basically. <laughs> <laughs> How small you are! Yeah, I quite yeah, I respect that. No, I like that KPIs. Yeah, it's great. Um, what can you tell us about the Omega effect, PJ? That 
Darkseid, well, it, it does what we're about to see here. Darkseid shoots it out. I think he can control it, so he, it has different effects depending on what he wants. But it's basically red beams that fire out of his eyes and do a variety of different things. Yeah, I, can... I feel like it's a vaguely nebulous power that sort of Kirby allowed to have Darkseid do various different things he wanted him to be able to. I guess the most notable feature is that they zigzag through the air. They're yes. like lasers that can make like 90 degree turns, which I think is kind of fun. Um, but all I, all I really know is that he can either, he might have other powers, but he can either like teleport things or mm. he can hit. Or he can, no, hit, God. What, <laughs> wrong with my brain. My brain, is, my brain is melting, PJ. Um, or he can vaporize things. Uh, and he, he's blasting Batman. So the Omega effect is kind of circling around Batman. And Batman gets the last dig in and goes, you want to know why you're surrounded by all these maggots, dark side? Because you did what you said you'd do. You recreated the whole world in your image. And what you see in them is your own ugly, ugly face. And he is vaporized into a storm of Kirby crackles and dusks. But like computer rendered Kirby crackle. Yeah, I mean that's how you know it's really hurting. I guess I guess the question is, is Batman teleported away or is he vaporized? I th- I'm assuming vaporized here because it's the next time Morrison has gra- has Darkseid used the Omega effect on Batman that he's teleported away and into the past, isn't it? I uh, yes, yes, he does. Oh, there might be another box involved. I can't remember. Like another member of the Mother Box family tree. Oh yeah, it might be know. like F- Final Cousin Crisis Box was so confusing. Cousin Box, <laughs> <laughs> like like Cousin It. <laughs> Cousin Box is the one who turns up at Christmas and won't leave. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but Batman is gone. Batman is vaporized, and Darkseid isn't happy. He's just never happy. He's um. He's throwing a bit of a rant because he's like, "Where's Metron? What's what's going on? Someone yeah, explain wh- this to me." Why has this all happened? I cannot be destroyed. I'm everything. This is my will. He has a tantrum. Let's be honest. I've got to say, I've always loved this little panel though of him having a tantrum. Oh yeah, fist up in the air. He's 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 not happy. Still surrounded by smoke. And then we get T minus two o one. The caption, and so it begins. And a rather natty panel of Green Arrow sliding his hover bike into the shot between Darkseid's feet. The shot, not... Darkseid's not that big. No, no. Um, and and Darkseid is so beyond this right now. Like, he's had his little tantrum, you know, they've had a really bad day in the office, uh, they didn't meet their targets, uh, their, their zombie factory on the moon got blown up. I mean, we can all relate to that. So Darkseid's like, look, I just... I'm, I can't do this right now. I can't even with you people. Like, you are so irrelevant, just go away. Uh, he just won't even acknowledge them. Like, Axum and Arrow are so, so utterly beneath him that he just does not even care. And Atom says, Flare Arrow, Connor. And Connor's like, well, Yeah, we'll give him a suntan. Okay. But the Atoms just, just do it. So Connor does. He notches up a Flare Arrow. And I love this. It's not, Who are you? Darkseid says, What are you? to them. As Connor fires, and the Atom says, I'm Ray Palmer, I'm a scientist, and I just realised you can see, which means something can get through your shield. 
And as the flare arrow goes off in Darkseid's face, you get a close-up of the atoms shrinking to subatomic sizes and saying, light. Can we just give a little shout-out to this absolutely awesome panel of the flare arrow? Yes. Like a pea shooter just bouncing off Darkseid's forehead. <laughs> and, and, and snapping. <laughs> yeah, and just snapping. And Howard Porter has just done the most amazing like use of heavy heavy black and light to give the impression of this this flare of light exploding and dark side has probably never looked chunkier than he does in this particular panel he also looks like he he de- hasn't even registered that the arrow bumped into the force field <laughs> you know you know when rob leefield was drawing captain america in the 90s <laughs> yes you know the the infamous barrel chest mhm here we have a character on whom the barrel chest actually looks normal. Well, that's also because he's side-on, not that w- not that <laughs> weird sort of side-on, but also at the front angle Rob Liefeld was going for when he did it. Hey, PJ, what is your damage, okay? Why is it when Pablo Picasso draws a man from every conceivable angle at once, he's a genius, but when Rob Liefeld does it, he's a hack and didn't wasn't trying hard enough? Why is because, that, PJ? Because Picasso had already done it, and Rob Liefeld was just tracing. <laughs> And I've got to say, Picasso <laughs> never drew ankles because they were so hard. Yeah, I heard it said that other people had to draw the feet and hands onto Pablo Picasso's. <laughs> when Picasso did that issue of Teen Titans, it was just. <laughs> oh, do you remember when? Do you remember when Pablo Picasso posted that video on Instagram of him driving his car while inking? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God bless you, Rob. Oh, my life. <laughs> Um, okay, so Darkseid is just leaving. Darkseid is like, yeah, yeah he I'm done. care about Green Arrow. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm off. And we cut to the brain of Darkseid, and the atom is flying over the surface of Darkseid's brain, now inside his head, and he goes, nice brain, four lobes, which one first? Yeah, he rode the light waves in through Darkseid's eyes and into his brain. At which point, and that's what Green Arrow says. He says to to Darkseid, he's in your head, you big ugly moron. And you get this beautiful close-up of Darkseid's eyes going wide with terror. And in my... uh, as, as, As far as I'm aware, the only time we've ever seen Darkseid's pupils, which are square. Because Howard Porter is a courageous man. And Darkseid's just not this. No! And the Atom fires a laser gun into Darkseid's brain. Yeah, and we get this absolutely amazing panel. Again, Howard Porter just doing incredible work here um, of Darkseid screaming as lightning explodes out of his eyes. And we see the Atom inside Darkseid's brain being consumed by this lightning storm and the caption goes consumed in the eye of the neural storm that devours Darkseid's brain this one catches sight of me and like a good scientist asks me a question my answer is yes and And then Darkseid doesn't even fall he just stands there smoke pouring out of his head and just sort of making random noises, so you get the letters. 
as Green Arrow just says, Ray, you and me, man, we just killed Darkseid. And then the captions say, my shadow falls across the world. This one feels me close by, stills his mind as he was taught, and prepares to return to the source. My task is all but done. And we finally get to see our narrator. Yes, who um, is a sinister, commanding, floating figure um, on, on skis. It's the Black Racer. It's the Black Racer. And it's one of Kirby's most ridiculous creations, but one that in the right hands somehow works. Kirby drew death and put him on skis. And yet, I'm all for it. They'd already done the Silver Surfer. I mean, I feel I feel skis were the next logical stretch. This is one of the reasons I'm, ang- I'm always angry with John Byrne. And that might seem weird, but go with me here. So he did the one a one-shot crossover, Darkseid versus Galactus, The Hunger, where Galactus comes and tries to eat Apocalypse. And in that, you have Silver Surfer fighting Orion. No! What much more interesting fight would have been putting the Silver Surfer against the Black Racer? I mean, that just writes itself. I didn't know yeah. that thing existed. What's that story called? Uh, Darkseid versus Galactus, The Hunger. I've got a copy of it. Wow. Might have to look that one up. Jeez. Um, and PJ, is is this not a nice moment of, I don't even know what the technical term is, ironic foreshadowing? Because wasn't, back in the past, wasn't Connor worrying that he didn't have a place in the Justice League? And that, yeah. like, is there, isn't there a line, doesn't he say something like, what good is a, what good would a bow and arrow be against, like, oh, I don't know, Darkseid or yep. someone? Yep, that is, uh, and I think it was only on my third or fourth reread, I was like, I understood Connor's journey, and how it comes full circle, and how he effectively, yeah, with the atom, but he kills Darkseid with a bow and arrow. Dramatic irony, PJ. I I, I think that's what we've just been, that's what what Grant Morrison just slapped us with. And I I took that slap and said, (laughs) can I have another? (laughs) Please, Master Morrison. (laughs) (laughs) Um... And T minus fifteen. Zero zero fifteen. Orion is working on this bizarre god machine. And he knows that he's not alone, and he turns to address Death, the Black Racer. And uh he goes, Well, in the end, Dark Side won. I've become the destroyer. He always said I would be. Um and Black Racer goes, you know, it's not often that I have to come and cast my shadow across all of creation. What have you there? And what Orion has is a device called the Genesis Box, which he's programmed, and it will convert the entire universe into pure energy and then remake it without Darkseid's taint. So he's basically rebooting the universe, but without Darkseid in it. And the Black Racer says to him, the war is over, Orion, as Orion activates the device. And then you get T-minus, zero, 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 zero. And lobotomized Darkseid staring out as a weird red wave envelops the Earth. And if you look very carefully, you can just see the Black Racer flying out of the top of it. Which I've only just noticed. Do you? Yes, same here, PJ. And now I choose to believe that whenever the Dark Racer, uh, the Dark Racer, whenever the Black What's his name? The Black Racer? The Black, Black Racer. Racer. 
Whenever the Black Racer is travelling, I choose to believe that the Ski Sunday theme tune is playing in the background. (laughs) I mean, you know what? If death came to me and it was a dude dressed all in black with a lovely cape riding some skis, but the Ski Sunday theme was playing, I'd be all right. I'd be, do you know what? This is a happy way to go. I'm enjoying it. (laughs) I'd be so happy. And, um, yeah, and as you said, uh, lobotomized dark side is consumed by this wave of energy and and the caption reads and as the last spark goes out in dark side's ruined brain he dimly perceives the face of the only winner of this game then he in his turn meets the black racer wow that's a lot woucher um so then we you'd cut think f- it would be the end of the issue. You'd think Not. it would be the end of the issue, yeah, but when we cut 15 years into the past, PJ, where? The Injustice Gang satellite, and we see Superman, Batman, and the Martian Manhunter stood there, and Superman is saying, nice try, Lex, but I can guarantee you won't be walking out of court with a smile on your face this time. Superman has the Philosopher's Stone in his hand. Joker and Lex are stood there. The satellite looks like it's a mess. You've got Dr. Light sat on a console behind them his head in his hands and for some reason there's a joker outfit on the floor there's an an arrow in one of the screens and batman says the stones thought controlled superman and superman says he won't get the chance to use it whatever this is i'm destroying it now as energy crackles out of his eyes and then we just get a panel of energy with the sound effect shzack and that's the end of the issue Wow. Um PJ 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 what what do you what do you say after that? What do what what do you think of the, of that issue? Uh that it's insane. <laughs> it's um, yeah, in the in the best way. Yeah, it is uh I mean because I I think we said this a little bit in like uh the last issue as well, but like looking back over it and coming at it in issue by issue, like Rock of Ages goes through different phases. You know, obviously we had the holograms, then we had uh, business-y, superhero-y kind of intrigue. Then we had Wonder World and a cosmic journey. And then with the last issue, we kind of settled into this this kind of dark future and, and the storytelling got a bit more linear. And this issue is just so kind of, condensed and streamlined and and again quite efficient storytelling because a hell of a lot happens in one issue to make you care about a lot of characters who were only introduced in the previous issue is yeah kind of amazing this part five of rock of ages for me is is their those characters story it's not about our league anymore Aquaman, Green Lantern, Flash feel like supporting characters and they're gone about halfway through. They just go back to their own time, but we still get to see everything play out. It's This issue is more about the future versions of Batman and Wonder Woman and it's about Green Lantern and the Atom and to a lesser extent Argent and Azteca and Amazo's there too. And I guess it... I feel in any other story the conclusion of this issue would have been Aquaman, Green Lantern and Flash getting on the time machine and escaping. Like, yeah. that that's the exciting conclusion. I think the fact that we then... We, we, then they're gone. As you say, they are kind of supporting characters. And the fact that we see 
this dark future all the way through to its logical conclusion and we see these characters die uh we see them suffer and and kind of struggle and yet we this this weird paradox of it it's like they're not they're they're alternate versions they're not the characters we know and love like this isn't our batman this isn't our wonder woman and yet even in this bizarre like alternate future that we'll never see again they're still the justice league like i think it kind of shows that it is bigger the justice league as a concept is bigger than the characters that make it up yeah, I think so. And the fact that each character gets their moment in the battle against Darkseid. You know, Argent gets to realise the full potential of her powers and, and create all these duplicates. Aztec gets to blow up the moon by flipping a switch on their on their belt. <laughs> Amazo, you know, beats a dude up and steals his bike. And then Green Arrow and Atom kill Darkseid. I mean... <laughs> That's huge! That is a huge story, and it's only the penultimate chapter of the story Morrison is telling. Has there been a better depiction of Darkseid since this story? Since this story, no. Mm. I would even argue that the only superior version uh, in comics prior to this is the Kirby original. It is... Darkseid is terrifying in the previous issue without being present. We only hear him speak. We never see his face. We hear, like, we hear his footsteps. We know his presence is upon us. And then he's terrifying in this issue for a completely different reason. Once he is here, like, I, it, it's the... I think while he can, when needed, have a good... Um, when he can have a good kind of villain's monologue, while he can be uh, sinister and ranting when he wants to be, it's his sheer practicality which makes it really scary, the fact that he doesn't need to. And he's actually scarier to me in the moments when he stops talking, when he is just mm. so matter-of-fact. It is, oh my God, yeah, it's, 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 it's so stuck with me over these years. Like, he is for just, just the most incredible villain here i think part of that as well is, is as you say in the previous issue we don't see dark side much he's he's it's we feel his presence but he's he's not physically there until the very last page and i think that is one of the reasons he's as scary as he is in this issue is because we've only had these sort of whisperings and we've just the fear and the awe everyone feels for dark side so that when we finally meet him and he lives up to that is is it's it's a hell of a, an amazing piece of writing from Morrison. They're scripting for this issue, and the fact that they are able to so well evoke Kirby and also do their own thing with Darkseid at the same time and make it this good, obviously ably assisted by Porter's amazing pencils, <laughs> is just it's it's. I think this is as close to Kirby as Darkseid has ever been since Kirby did Darkseid. I know, and I I do wonder if this story casts a long shadow. Like, I, I don't know what the general vibe around Darkseid was before this. I, I, I Based on your journey into Genesis, PJ, I find it so interesting that DC had only recently done a big crossover event which featured Darkseid in a pretty prominent role. 
And I, again, I don't know how, was he the villain? Was he the go-to big bad? Was he like this big, important villain? Or had he kind of fallen out of favor? Like, was he not cool, for lack of a better word? I think he'd been used. I think for DC, Darkseid is effectively what both Thanos and Galactus are to Marvel. There's someone who you bring in when you want things to get big. Mm. Um, and whereas Marvel have a couple of those, I think with DC it's really just Darkseid. Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't say overused, but I think Darks, Darkseid had been used in stories where maybe it wasn't necessary to do so. And, I, you know, people fumbled that. Even Morrison would go on to fumble it, let's be honest. In Final Crisis, that's a dark side story, and it's really bad. Yeah, I, I've got to say, I, I, I do keep trying Final Crisis. There's bits in it I do like, but I, I, I think it, it, the tough part, in a way, is that it was almost perfect to begin with. I think it's like, the problem is, how do you follow Rock of Ages? Which exactly. I, th- I, I kind of feel is possibly the the best and most definitive depiction of Darkseid I'd, I'd ever seen. And, I, and I, I think there's a whole generation of creators who were inspired by this story. I think I think it, it made a hell of an impact. And I mean, you look now at like um, every kind of subsequent adaptation of the League and it seems to only be a matter of time before they fight dark side it seems to be a rite of passage for a creative yeah. team i mean and um obviously the new 52 uh the founding of the justice league in the new 52 um right out of the bat uh right out of the gate sorry um it's uh it's dark side isn't it like dark side is the big bad that kind of brings them together yeah and i really didn't like that story i think yeah and i, I think that's it to me i i think a lot of people read this story and got the wrong idea about Darkseid, which is a whole, which is a very judgmental thing of me to say. But I think so often Darkseid pops up and he's just a big, strong thing to punch. You know what I mean? Like he's just yeah. physically powerful. Whereas I think what makes Darkseid terrifying here is his mind, is the way he thinks. And that's not just being a big bruiser with gray skin. I can only think, actually, of one other Dark Side appearance that I like almost as much as this that came after, and that's something he only appears in for maybe two pages, and that's his brief cameo in JLA Avengers. I was gonna, yes, I was gonna say the same thing, PJ. Where Dark Side gets hold of the Infinity Gauntlet. <laughs> <laughs> we should do a podcast together, PJ. It's like we're on the same wavelength <laughs> about a lot of this stuff. Maybe one day we'll get round to it. Um. Deary me, I'm just I'm trying to think if there's anything we haven't wrung from this. I mean, I I, I totally agree with you that like um, Morrison uh, seems to have a very good handle on the new gods and apocalypse kind of that kind of mythology of it. Like uh, it has a real it has a real weight to it. Yes, uh, as a world. And, and I know it's not the last we'll see of of the new gods in this run on JLA, but I do think it's a shame that that's not a property DC let Morrison play with for a while. I yeah. feel like if 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 they'd given Morrison like a new god series to work mm. on around this sort of time, I think that would have been amazing. 
Is it like the Thor problem as well? Like, with the exception of Thor, the rest of the Asgardians aren't maybe as interesting. And is it is that the same problem with the Fourth World? That aside from Darkseid, Orion, Mr. Miracle, maybe Metro... Well, actually, there's Barda as well. <laughs> Sorry, I yep. was... Yeah. I think it, Light Ray, he's pretty fun. Uh, even the Allfather of New Genesis. I, I, no, I don't think that is the problem at all. I think, I think it's just the... I yeah. think there's there's an element of some people are scared to approach it because Kirby basically nailed it the first time, whereas other people are like, well, I'm going to do something you've never seen before with the new gods, and then you read it and go, yeah, there's a reason no one's done that with the new gods before. <laughs> is, it, is it the... Um, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, PJ. Is it the Forever people? Are they also among the new gods' yes. pantheon? Are they the yeah, ones I, who I can... think so. And can't they combine into one person, Captain Planet style? Or am I dreaming? Yeah, they can. Um, yes, and I think they they have a. No, they, yeah, they are. They must be part of the fourth world because they have a, a super cycle, which isn't even a bike. It's like a big tractor with several trailers or something that they ride about on. Yeah, and wasn't the wasn't that referenced in um, the Young Justice cartoon? Well, in the in the comic, Young Justice nicked their super cycle. Oh, really? Oh, is that a direct <laughs> yeah. reference? To, ah, yeah, right, right, right. I get it. But they were they were proper hippie superheroes, weren't they? They were like people from the fourth world who were gods from the fourth world who were just kind of hanging out in like sixties um, counterculture um, USA, weren't they? I, I thought that was kind of like the vibe with them. Yeah, I think they were Kirby's comment on that because I don't. You know, Kirby was obviously uh, leaned left in his politics, but I think he he saw the sort of the hippie counterculture as as being too passive about dealing with with threats when they came. And I believe the Forever People were his comment on on that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so. I'm kind of just it's like uh, Jack Kirby subtitle two fisted hippie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like you know. Jack Kirby's your punch a Nazi guy, so yeah, because it's like actually like getting into a fight is horrible. Like uh, mm. you know, people get hurt and they break bones and they they end up with lasting trauma. But again, like the Jack Kirby school of getting into fights maybe never existed, or maybe everyone just had like thicker bones back then. But <laughs> you would you would just have a good honest. You punched for people who needed punching. And then you went back and you drew 22 pages in a night. <laughs> and you just and then and then people spend 50 years trying to keep up with your work ethic. Mm -hmm. It's insane. It really is. Ah, uh, Jack Kirby. Well, here's to you. Here's to you. <laughs> and uh, here's to Grant Morrison, Howard Porter and Associated Lunatics for bringing us this story. Yeah, I think that story is the most Kirby issue we're going to get i think this is this is our big opportunity today this has been our, our our chance to really talk about kirby and how great kirby is some of the characters will show up again but that was really morrison does the fourth world yeah and i guess the whole kind of um wonder world was maybe like to some extent is maybe like morrison doing a bit of like their own version of like fourth world like you know yeah. there's something entirely new yeah, I'd agree with that. I think so. I think that's a really good way to read it, actually. That, that is Morrison's own sort of pantheon of beings beyond our comprehension. It's kind of nice. I don't think anyone has 
felt compelled to dig into Wonderworld too much, like over the years. Like I don't think anyone's mined that for like another story. No, I, I think I, no, I don't think they have. I think you're right. I think that is both a good thing because they could easily mess it up, but also a bad thing because I'd, I'd kind of love to see someone do that, but do it well. I like. I think I said in the previous issue, but I episode whatever. What are we doing, PD? I don't know. Written or audio, <laughs> I can't tell. But I did. I did like it that in Multiversity, when Morrison was describing the map of the new the new DC multiverse, which is a task in itself. Uh, Wonderworld features on the map of the multiverse, mm. orbiting the edge of the multiverse, which I thought was a nice little. A nice little cameo. Seeing as a, seeing seeing that Morrison has been allowed to carve out an entirely unique mythology in the center of the DC uh, the DC universe over the years, I I find that quite entertaining. That there's still a torch being carried for uh, for Wonderworld somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's it's a shame we haven't seen it again. But at the same time, as I say, it would be so easy to get wrong. So maybe it's for the best. Well, um, on that note, PJ, is there anything left to be said that hasn't already been covered? Uh, no. Well, that's good. Well, okay. <laughs> well, in, in which case, uh, it uh, it's only right that I should thank uh, Gav Mitchell for drawing our amazing cover artwork, and uh, Elliot Red for composing and performing our fantastic theme tune, Justice. And uh, if you're enjoying the show and if you're enjoying hearing PJ and I ramble on about all sorts of nonsense, uh, you can find us on the social medias, as the kids are wont to say. Uh, the details are in the description. Is there anything you'd like to shout about, PJ, before we, we cut you off? No, just, you know, one part of Rock of Ages left. That's all there is, folks. And oh boy, am I excited. <laughs>